seats. Brendan, you're looking rather like Ed Sheeran this morning. I was sat on the front row and I was like, Brendan looks like Ed Sheeran. There you go. That was just for free. Thank you. Can we say thank you to our worship team and our production team? They do a great job. Lead us in worship every Sunday. So today we are talking about living contented, live content, how to live content. And I wanted to start off this morning by asking you a question for you to answer in your head. Don't shout it out at me. Uh, What do you need to be content? What do you need to be content? And this question was asked um, lots of different people on the street. And some of the things that came up were these. They said um, health. That's a good thing. Uh, Money, obviously. Uh, A job that fulfills you. Being in a relationship where you feel valued. Feeling good in yourself. And those are all really good things. And if I was able to somehow kind of snap my fingers today and I was able to give you all the money you needed, all the friends and family, all your health, a great job and all of that stuff, then our contentment in the room, can we agree, would probably go up. Like, that would be a good thing. No one's going to be like, no, Julie, I don't want more money in my bank account, and I'd like to be more sick, please, and I'd like my significant relationships to be rubbish. None of us are going to say that. Our contentment would go up, but us being us, or me being me, I'd probably spend a lot of money on Krispy Kremes, and then my contentment would go down, and, you know, Neil would spend it on lawn things, and his contentment would go up and then down, because the lawn is a cyclical nature in our house of, yes, it's amazing. No, I hate it. And then me saying, it's a rental. I don't care about it. That's how the conversation goes in our house. And so even if we could snap our fingers and kind of give you everything that the world would think that we would need to be content, you would be content. And then you'd find yourself back in discontent. You'd find yourself having spent your money or, you know, having pulled a hamstring or something would happen where those things would, I'm thinking that would be discontent. I've never... I don't even know where my hamstring is, guys, but I'm thinking that would not help with your contentment. If we were to turn to the wisdom literature of today, which are the lifestyle bloggers, uh, the mindfulness coaches, the people who uh, write things about how you can live contented. There's a lot of stuff out there on the internet about how to live contented when I Googled this. And they say they take a step towards the truth but they don't quite get the whole truth, which means it's a fully dangerous thing that they're doing because they're half right, which means that they're wholly wrong. And so they take a step towards the truth and they say, well, it's not about external things. And then they turn it inwards. They turn to the idol of self. And they say things like this, contentment is not about stuff. And they're, they're right on that. But they focus on yourself and they are advocating things like gratitude and mindfulness and self-improvement altruism, which they then say is a bit like a drug, because if you're nice to somebody else, you get that nice feeling, but that's, that's not about the other person, then that becomes about you, so you kind of missed, missed the point again there. Um, and then positive thinking, and this came up so many different times as I was looking at the, the, this kind of world, which is all over the show. This is what you'll hear on TV and in films and in the magazines, is this sort of things. And they say that... Um, Contentment is not a one-size-fits-all thing because the idol of that way of thinking is yourself. And so as unique as we all are, it takes all different things to make us all content. And so you've just got to look inward and find out what it's going to take to make you content because you're unique and it's going to look different for everybody. And they have a half-truth, but they're wholly wrong. This morning, 
what I want us to do is to look at what a biblical worldview of content is. What does the Bible say about how to live content? Because what the Bible says is how we are to renew our minds with and how we are to wash our life in that. And so I want us to look today about what is a biblical worldview of contentment? How would Jesus have thought about contentment? What could that look like for me? And why does it matter? Why does it matter? How can I even be content? And why does that matter? So today we're going to send to in Philippians 4, but we need to just do a little bit of context work so that, and you'll see why in a minute, but if we don't do some context work around Philippians 4, it's going to be really easy for us to slip into the autopilot of Christian cliche. Because Philippians 4 is full of things that you will have on tea towels and mugs and screensavers and your phone things, which is all right and good. But the context of it is really important so that it doesn't just become, oh, yeah, Julie, that's nice, but so that we restore it to its original meaning, which actually brings so much power to it, power and life this morning. So we're going to pray as we come around God's word and ask Jesus to help us know today how to live content. Does that sound good? Excellent. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need you this morning. We need your words of life. We need your thoughts. We want the mind of Christ this morning. We don't want our own thoughts. We want to know what it is that you would have us do. And so, God, I pray that as we submit our life to your word, that you will make it living and active, that you will bring it to life for us so that something catches our heart this morning. Holy Spirit, something helps us to grab onto a phrase or a word or something that's going to touch our heart and our mind so that we leave change this morning, so that we don't stay the same, but Jesus, you be glorified and lifted up in our life and you become the contentment that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Philippians, if you've not read it for a while or maybe you've never read it, is a letter. It's written by a guy called Paul. It's written from prison. It's one of the, what's called the prison epistles, which just means prison letters. And it's a great book to read. If you're the, the kind of the overarching theme, if we're going to sum up Philippians in one word, it would be joy. Paul talks about joy all the time in Philippians, and it's joy and Jesus, those two things together, which is a, it's a, good, like, a good combo for a book. So if you're not feeling very joyful, Philippians is your book to read. If you're kind of wondering and you want to be really encouraged, it's a really encouraging book, Philippians is a great read. And Paul can often be quite cranky when he writes letters to different churches. Some of his other letters that he writes, he is not very happy with the people that he's writing. And he can come across a little bit mean and cranky and quite ticked with what they've done sometimes. But you don't see any of that really in Philippians. It's a really encouraging letter. Paul seems to really have this sense of affection for the people that he's writing to. And so I kind of quite like that because conflict makes me really awkward. So reading some of the other letters, I'm like, ooh, like, don't, it makes me uncomfortable reading. Whereas Philippians is like, oh, yes, we're all nice and happy and it's good. So we're going to be in chapter four and we're going to read the whole chapter. So it'll be up on the screen. But I wanted to do the whole chapter because if we don't do the whole chapter, the bit that we're going to focus on, which you'll have heard before, you need the chapter to understand where this sits, so that we don't just pick it out from thin air. So, chapter 4 in Philippians, verse 1. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. That's that sense there of just, just Paul's got real affection for these people. He actually really likes them. So he says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. So these people have had a scrap, apparently. 
Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everybody. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So it's just really encouraging them. It's all about Jesus. You can talk to him about anything. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, because he's finishing off three chapters earlier where he's been talking about how amazing Jesus is. And so he's now kind of getting to the end of his. That's like when a preacher says, and I'm about to finish, but then we go on for another 20 minutes. So this is, this is Paul doing just that. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, which is just good advice. When you have learned and received and heard what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly and now at length you have revived your concern for me. Because Paul's in prison when he's writing this letter. And so you'll find out later in this that um, they're going to send, they've sent some money to him and they're going to continue to do that. And Paul accepts it from them. Whereas some of the other churches that he goes to visit, he says, no, I don't want any of your money because I'm going to make tents myself. But he seems to have this understanding with the Philippian church that actually you can support me. We'll find out why that is just a bit long on. Because when you're in a, any jail, when you're in a jail, it's not like a state system where you get given, you know, a blanket and your meals. And if you get an infection, you get given, um, like, medicine. It, you, you were just in jail. And so if you had nobody to support you in jail, well, then that was your tough fault. And you just um, starved and died. So if you didn't have somebody to kind of support you while you were in prison, then it was going to go really bad for you. So that's what the Philippian church has done. They've given money to Paul so that he can eat and survive. And he writes them a letter to say thanks. So, so you were indeed concerned for me, verse 10, but you had no opportunity. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He's trying to say, I'm not asking for more money, guys. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me, giving and receiving except only you. Which is quite amazing because the Philippian church is one of the poorer churches. And so it's quite an amazing thing that they did to kind of gather up their money and send it off to Paul. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And not that I seek the gift. He's really over-egging there, guys. I'm saying thanks, but not, I'm not saying thanks that you can send me some more money. He's doing that kind of thing where, you know, you say someone's paid for something. And then you're like, oh, let me pay half. And they're like, no, absolutely not. And you're like, no, 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 I must do it. It's that, it's that sort of thing that's happening here. So... I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And this is interesting, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So often we just yank that verse out of its context. But what Paul's saying here is, thanks so much for giving me what I needed, but I recognize that that costs you so much. And because of your sacrifice, God's actually going to, he's going to sort out your needs. So we, 
not just to kind of wave that verse around, but it's in response to sacrifice. Paul says, God's going to, he won't leave you hanging. When you sacrifice for the kingdom, God always comes and brings, and he brings and floods it into your life. And, it, and it's interesting that this is why Paul accepted their offering, because he recognized it's a sacrifice for them. And if Paul had said, no, absolutely not, I'm gonna, not going to accept it from you, he robs them of the blessing of their sacrificial giving. So that's why he accepts their money. So our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. This is thanks for coming. Love you guys. Especially those of Caesar's household, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So the bit we're going to focus on that uh, Maria will put up behind me is verse 11 to 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I can do all things through Christ or through him who strengthens me. And there's two, two things we're going to do. I'm going to pull out two words because two words are really going to help us understand what is happening here and how that affects us. And the second thing we're going to do is look at two observations that are going to help you this week to live more content so that we don't just listen, but we become doers of the words, so that we don't just look in a mirror and be like, oh, yeah, I need to up how I am content and then just walk away and do nothing about it. So first thing we're going to look at is when he says, I've learned to, in any situation to be content. And that word in the Greek is this autoarchies, autarkies, one of those things. I don't speak Greek, but it's this word that if we break it down, means self and sufficient. That's how we make that two words together. Now, you might think, well, Paul, aren't you kind of lumping yourself in with the, like the mindfulness bloggers and the wellness people here? Because if you're saying, I've learned to be content, I've learned to be self-sufficient, aren't you kind of just saying, well, look inside yourself and just kind of, you know, be strong and do what it is that you need? But it's the only place in the Bible where this particular word is used, which is always interesting. Because there's so many words for content, and yet this word is only used in this certain circumstance, and it has this sense behind it. Remember, words in the Bible are like a suitcase. There's lots of meaning stuffed in it, and so we kind of unpack it because it helps us to understand. And it's this. It's an inward adequacy, an inward adequacy coming from the indwelling power of Jesus, the sense of living in the fullness of Jesus. And Paul backs this up because he finishes with verse 13. So when he said, I've learned how to be content, you have to read verse 13 to find out how has he been content. And it's because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how. So when he's talking about self-sufficiency, he's talking about the sufficiency that comes from Jesus. Now, I'm guessing that in a room this size, somebody will have this on their fridge. Somebody will have it on a mug. You'll have it on a tea towel. It'll be your iPad screensaver. You'll have written it down somewhere. And all of us, if we've been a Christian any length of time, before we're coming into any difficult circumstance, we'll have kind of said this to ourselves. We'll have said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
Now, you might have said it kind of in difficult circumstances. Maybe you're about to go into a job interview and you're feeling a bit nervy and you're like, use it like a pep talk. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You might have been wanting to finish a Krispy Kreme donut and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can just finish this last thing. Someone will have said, Julie, you're a winner. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, I can. Come on, calories. Like, and we use this verse so often don't we? It's one of these things that we love to trip out. Like, no, no, no. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is good and it's right. But it's in the context of good and bad. Really, really difficult circumstances, desperate circumstances, and learning to have been content in it. So it's not we use it in a sense of, I need to kind of run up over this hill and kind of get there with it. And, oh, I'm going to run out onto the sports field and I just kind of need like that little, oh, like, I could do all things and then just go for it. I'm going to run at a wall now. But Paul's using it in the circumstances terrible and it's not changing. And I'm going to be content in this because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he's also using it in the circumstances amazing. It's better than I even thought. And I can be content with that because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think sometimes this is difficult when things are going well. Because if you've lived with things that have been very bad, sometimes you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're in your good. You're in your victory. You're in your breakthrough. And you're like, this is amazing. But in the back of your head, you're thinking, yeah, but when is it changing? When, when something must be coming because this just feels too good. Like this just feels... It's unreasonable how good this is. But Paul would say, no, you can be content in your breakthrough because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Through the good and the bad, it's Jesus who strengthens us. And the Zen bloggers and the wellness coaches, they've got it entirely wrong when they said it's not a one-size-fits-all to contentment. Because the Bible is very clear. It is a one-size-fits-all. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one size he is the answer. You know, in Sunday school, they're like, what's the answer? And they're just like, Jesus? Well, you would be completely right in this circumstance. Absolutely, yes. You have kind of come to the end of the test, and you've got 10 out of 10. The answer is Jesus. So how do you live content? Answer, Jesus. It's Jesus that strengthens you to be content. And they might think, Julie, well, you've just given us the answer halfway through the preach, and I have which is a good thing because you've got it and we're now all secure. And it's like, good, good, good. We know the answer now. And it might feel like a kind of, we've done the punchline early in the joke. But as we look at how, what does this mean? How has this worked out? And you know that it's Jesus. And you instinctively know that. When you're thinking about how do we walk through difficult circumstances, you know the answer is Jesus. You know that it's him that you need. You know that it's his strength that only gets you through. But we're going to look at how that looked like for Paul and then how that helps you. The second word that I want to pull out is when Paul says, I've learned, and in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This word secret intrigued me because everybody loves a good secret. That's how people sell lots of books. It's seven secrets to success. Like, you know, five secrets to buying a home that no one's telling you. You know, four secrets to make your children go to sleep really early. You would be clicking on that all day, every day. You know, seven secrets to triple your investment. 
Because we like, to, we like the feeling of nobody else knows this, but you're letting me know. We love that. It's clickbait. And so Paul puts a bit of clickbait in this verse. He's like, I've learned the secret, guys, of how to do this. And apparently, it can still be a secret in the Christian life. Because not all of us will get this. The secret's like an open secret. We just found the answer. The answer is Jesus. But not all of us will do what it takes to walk out this secret. Not all of us will truly decide, Jesus, you're going to be enough in the good and in the bad. Not all of us will learn the secret. This word secret is mueo. And again, this is the only place that it's used in the entire Bible. And this is what it means. It means to initiate into the mysteries of. So Paul's like, guys, we're going on an initiation right. We're going to haze you into finding out how to live content. He says this, I've been so disciplined by experience that whatever my lot I can endure to every condition and to all the circumstances of life, I've become accustomed How do you learn the secret of being content in every circumstance? Well, Jesus, he's the answer, his strength. But Paul says the secret of it is just live. Just live and life will come at you with the good and the bad and that up and down of life, that ebb and flow, the good and the bad, the difficult and the smooth, all the different things that come along, that's the secret. That's what it is. The secret is just living and experiencing life and in it finding that it's Jesus that never changes. He's the one that remains the same. He's the anchor of your soul. He's the one who strengthens you when it's good. He's the one that strengthens you when it's bad. He'll be there in the good, the bad, the rough, the smooth, the up, the down, whatever it looks like, he's going to be there. And that is the secret. So now you've got the answer and the secret. So you're well prepared for this week. You're all ready to go. And I want to finish with two observations, two things that are just maybe going to help you know how to do this this week or for the rest of the year. The first observation is this. Paul lived this out practically in front of the Philippian church. This wasn't, as Paul's writing this and they're hearing it, And they're hearing, I'm not speaking to you of being in need. I'm not asking you for money. But I've learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As they're hearing that, they're not hearing it in a vacuum. They're not hearing it without any practical examples of Paul having actually done this. For one, they know that he's writing it from prison. So that's a pretty good example that Paul's able to say that whilst in prison and not be like, guys, it sucks in here. There's a rat and he's been looking at my toes all day and I think he's going to try and eat them tonight and I'm worried about going to sleep. And there's a guy next door and he's just snoring all the time and I can't get any sleep and it's just really interrupting my letter writing and I don't think that I'm going to be able to do what Jesus has asked me to do because I'm sleep deprived and I can't do things. This, this is normally me in the week. And I can't do things if I don't get a good night's sleep. You don't hear any of that. He's just like, Jesus is amazing and joy and it's all great and... and So that he's already, in writing this letter, he's already showing them he's content. He's content where he is, in prison. Now, like we said earlier, prisons were not like our prisons now. It's literally a hole in the ground often. 
and a dark, damp hole in the ground with no sanitation, without a shower, without, you know, reading materials and different things, just, just a dark hole in the ground. And somehow he's able to write about the inexpressible joy of having Jesus inside of you and Jesus being everything that you need and being able to be content. He's also writing this to people who are in the Philippian church. The church is in Philippi. And what I found this week, which I kind of knew, but I'd never really connected the dots, is I went back into Acts and then read about when Paul first went to Philippi. That's a really a set of amazing stories. So Paul goes, and um, he's there, and it's a, a town that's probably around the size of Warner, maybe 11,000 people, 10,000 people. It's a retiree town where people who'd fought the wars after people had stabbed, who was it? Who got stabbed in the back? Julius Caesar? I'm terrible at my history. My mom's going to be like, what was that education for? Uh, Anyway, that person that got stabbed in the back, the two factions of that, they had, yes, et tu brute, that's it, isn't it? I was listening in Shakespeare class. And so those two factions of people, people who were for the person who got stabbed, people who were against, they had a big, big fight. And then after those wars, they resettled all of the veterans of the people who won in Philippi. So it's like this Roman place, it's, it's a, you know, quite a metropolis, but it's smaller than the other places. And so Paul goes here for one of his journeys, and he goes and he, he finds this lady called Lydia, who's an incredible businesswoman. So she's well known in the place because she's a merchant in purple cloth. Now, you don't get to, that's like being the CEO of something now. So she's a really highly wealthy, highly influential woman. And he has this conversation with her, and somehow she gets saved, and then he's like, right, we need to go. And she's like, no, you're coming to my house for tea. And he's like, no, 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 we really need to go, because it says that she impressed on them greatly to go with them. And so she was like, no, you are coming to my house for tea. She was really into her hospitality. And so Paul has this really big win right at the start. And then what happens is they're going around and they're preaching the good news. And there's a slave girl who's demon-possessed and she's been really irritating to the ministry. And so Paul's like, can't be doing with this. Just cast the demon out of her. She's pleased about it because she's free from having a demon inside of her as you would be. The owner who had been using her as like an attraction to get money, he's not so pleased because she can't do what she'd done before. And so then great persecution comes upon Paul and Silas in Philippi, and they beat them up, and then they throw them in the Philippian jail. So he's in jail with Silas, and this is where you get the whole at midnight where we're having a worship service. Silas is on the keys. They're singing, you know, goodness of God. It's all great. And then earthquake happens, and then, you know, all the chains fall off. It's just great. And maybe they were singing Break Every Chain at that point, and it was all poetic, and they were like, yes. And then the jailer, who's the jailer in the Philippian jail, freaks out because he thinks everybody's going to go. He's going to lose his job and his life because of that. Paul talks him down and is like, no, 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 we're all here. And then he gets saved and his whole family. And I'd never really connected the thought that at least these three people are listening to this letter. Lydia, the slave girl who has been freed from demonic possession, and the jailer and his family. It says Lydia's whole family gets saved as well. But these people are listening to Paul say, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content, in the highs and the lows. When we think about 
that li- just that little journey that we've got in Acts that tells us about what happened in Philippi as the church is being established, that's some pretty high highs. Like, you know, meeting an amazing businesswoman, somebody who's influential, you can get you into different places and, you know, open up doors. That's a, that's a good ministry high. And then, you know, going around and preaching and being amazing and having some opposition, well, it's, it's still good because you know that you're doing something good for God when, you know, you've got opposition coming, like, up to you. And then she gets set free. Amazing. Really great ministry high. And then, you know, persecution and beatings and into jail. Ministry low happens there. Not so good. Not what we would want to happen. And yet then we, you know, have an earthquake and we're set free and somebody and his whole family gets saved. Ministry high. So it's like this little roller coaster that Paul goes on. But it's also a roller coaster that the people have seen. So Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer and his family are hearing I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And they're able to say, I've actually seen that. I've actually seen that. Lydia would be thinking, yeah, I saw Paul. I saw it when it was all good. And then I'm quite sure she would have been aware of when Paul was being thrown into prison. And I'm for sure that the jailer would have been like, well, actually, I saw Paul in prison and he was worshipping. So when he says that he's learned to be content in the highs and the lows and plenty and hunger, he actually knows what he's talking about. I saw this. I saw him walk this out. And I want you to think about the people in your life that you've seen do this. Because when you think about it, if you've been around church for any length of time, you'll have seen somebody do this. I think about Judy Bedville. Think about Judy, and Judy is so encouraging to me, and and she's so modest that she'd be like, oh, no, 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 because that's just how wonderful Judy is. But I watch her go through the highs and lows of waiting for healing, and I'm like, Judy's learned how to be content. Now, she's not content in the sense of, well, if Jesus came along and was like, Judy, can I heal you today? She'd be like, no, 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 I'm content. She'd be like, no, yeah, go for it. Like, that'd be awesome. But there's, there's a contentment. There's a contentment in her life that comes through she can do all things through Christ who strengthens her. When I look at Pastor Nina and the situation that she's in with her family and her mum and how she's cared for them and the things that they've been through, I'm like, Pastor Nina knows how to do this. She's, she knows how to do the highs. And Pastor Mark, you probably know this more than anybody, but she knows how to do the highs and the lows. And she's not, Pastor Nina is not like an up and down person. But as the up and down circumstances of life come along, She's not like, oh, my goodness, like every staff meeting, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, no, no, she's really consistent, constant. Why? Because Jesus is her strength, and she can do all things through Jesus who strengthens her, even the most difficult things. Pastor Nina, if you're watching, we really love you. We're praying for you. You're amazing. I've watched my mom and dad do this. I've watched my close family is, you know, and and often it will be your family because you're up close and personal. And as you watch people go through difficult circumstances, highs and lows, and you watch their faith not be shaken, you watch them have questions, absolutely, have doubts, absolutely fine, but there be something consistent and constant at the bottom of it. And what is it? It's the strength of Jesus. And he be the anchor of their soul, and he be the one that strengthens them through the highs and the lows. I'm thinking of a woman in my mum's church at home, and she had, I think it was breast cancer, four times. Four times. And, you know, on the second time, she said to Jesus, Jesus, I just want to see my little girl grow to be 18. And she did. God gave her that time, and then she was taken fairly soon after. And I think about that journey of what that's like. And 
I know that people would have said to her, yeah, but where's your Jesus in this? What kind of God would do this to you? Highs and lows. Yes, it's in remission. I know it's come back. The highs and lows of life. I think about people in this church with long-term unemployment. My goodness, you ride the highs and the lows. That's a really difficult journey, but I've watched so many of you do it with the strength that Jesus brings. Not going into every day with like a little pep talk. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but I know that Jesus is constant with me. And when the job comes, he's going to strengthen me. And when the rejection comes, he's going to strengthen me. And it's the highs and the lows. And I want you to think about the people in your life that have modeled this to you. Because they're a testimony of grace. They're a testimony. They, they help show you the way to do this. They help show you the secret of what it is. But then on the other side of that coin, I want you to think about, so I want you to think about who you're learning this from. And if you can't find somebody, just start to have a chat to people in church. Because as soon as you hear somebody's story, you'll be like, oh my goodness, your life's been very up and down and Jesus has been the same through it all. We've got a, a hundred stories in this room that would demonstrate this. So I want you to think about whose life are you learning this from? And then I want you to think the other side of that coin, whose life am I passing this on to? Who, as I walk through my circumstances, as I walk through my highs and lows, who could look at my life? Could it be your co-workers? Could it be your boss? Could it be the, the children in your classroom? Could it be your friends in your uni? That as you walk through the highs and the lows of life, not that we never have any emotions, not that we never cry and we're never sad and bad things never happen to us, but as the good things come and the bad things come our way, that there's a consistency and it's there because it's Jesus. Jesus is the answer and we've learned the secret to the highs and lows of life coming and yet our strength coming from Jesus. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can do the good, we can do the bad. We can do the easy, we can do the difficult. We can do the rough, we can do the smooth. And somebody in your world can look at you and go, I want that. I want that. You, you don't seem to just be like, oh my goodness, something happens and you totally freak out. And as you love Jesus the way that you already do, I know you do, he's doing this in you. He's already doing this in you. When I was a teacher, in my first, in my first week, somebody came up to me and was like, oh, this person's really offended with you. I'm like, I've been here five days. Like, how is that? Because that's just like my worst nightmare. I'm like, oh, no. So I was like, and then they were about to launch into all the reasons why they're offended with me. And I was like, can I just stop you there? I was like, I'm sure they've got a very good reason for being offended with me. But if they're going to be offended with me, I'd really like you to encourage them just to come to me. And I'd love to talk about it with them. But I, I, respectfully, I, I don't want to hear it secondhand from you. And she was like, oh. And it went really awkward and really quiet. And I was like, oh, that's the end of my career in this school. And I was like, oh. And she was like, right. And just walked out, and I was like, well, there we go. So we just put the boundary in that like, I'm not doing gossip in my classroom. Like, uh, because schools are gossipy atmospheres, as all teachers know. And so what that meant was is that I never heard anything. I didn't know anything that was going on until it happened, like when somebody was going to leave and everybody would known for six months. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so quick. They're like, no, you're just, you're just not on the gossip vine. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. Fine and fair enough. But as what that happened was is that, they, 
they saw after time that I was a safe place to come to because I wasn't, when bad things happened and I found out about them last, I wasn't like, oh my goodness, this is like crazy. And then when the good things happened, it wasn't, I lorded over them. But just in that one thing, my, my room became a safe place for people to come to, that they would know that I would be consistent, that they would know that things could be really good and really bad, and yet there was some kind of levelness in my life, and they didn't really have language. They wouldn't have said, Julie, you're amazing. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, and that's why I'm coming to talk to you. But there was just this consistency that, that you know, when bad things happened, my world didn't fall apart. When things happened that I didn't like, I didn't then just go chat it around to everybody. They knew that that was going to be consistency. And it's just those simple things that are simple but hard to do in the moment, difficult to do. But those things bring a consistency. They bring something into your life that other people can look at. And so I want you to think about who can you be for that person? In whose life are you passing this on to? That you can do all things. You can do the rough and you can do the smooth through Christ who strengthens you. Second observation as we come to a close very shortly is this. It's not your external atmosphere that dictates contentment, but it's the internal atmosphere of your heart. I heard this great thought this week, which was this, that Satan at one point was in the perfect atmosphere, optimal atmosphere, atmosphere of heaven. He was in heaven with Jesus, with God, with the Holy Spirit, with the angels, in just the best place. If we could all click our fingers and just be there right now, it would be the most amazing thing we have ever experienced and felt, and our minds would be wonderful. It would just be just the best, right? And in that atmosphere, Satan somehow ends in discontent. He's not happy with his lot. He's not happy with the atmosphere of heaven. He wanted something more in the place where there is complete contentment and fulfillment somehow he found a way to not be happy with what he had and he wanted more and so that tells me that contentment yes it's the answer is Jesus but it is also to do with the internal atmosphere of your heart that if Satan can be unhappy with something in heaven when the atmosphere is perfect and optimal in every way then it has to be an internal atmosphere. And so the atmosphere of our homes, our marriages, our friends, family, uni, workplace, so often we can think, well, if this changed, if this boss went, if I got this grade, if this person was healed, if this prayer was answered, and we look to the external things, but we make them Christian. We're like, you know, if, if this prayer was answered, then things would be so much better. And we, we make it an external atmosphere, but it's the, actually the internal atmosphere of our heart. And Proverbs 4.23, you'll know this, says, Guard or tend your heart with all diligence, for, for, for from it flows the springs or issues of life. And I love, I love the version that says to tend it because it's using that gardening language which I'm rubbish at, but I really enjoy doing. And so that, that language of pruning and tilling and um, clearing space and planting and, and um, burning and do all the things that you do in a garden to make it amazing and wonderful is, is what our hearts need to have happen to them. Because when the atmosphere of your heart, through lots of different circumstances, has become offended, when you are offended by Jesus because of a situation that has happened to you. When you perceive in your heart that Jesus has let you down, 
when you think in your heart that Jesus has come into the situation too late, when it feels like he's not speaking to you, when things feel unfair and it feels too much, what's happening there is the atmosphere of your heart is one of accusation and it's one of disappointment and it's one of offense and it's one of mistrust. And in that moment, I love how Jesus ties things together. As Pastor Mark said, perception is reality. Now, the reality is, is that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens. You can do the good and the bad, the rough and the smooth. But if you really believe that Jesus has let you down, or he's offended you, or he's disappointed you, then you're not going to be like um, leaning towards him for him to strengthen you, because you're leaning back and being offended at something that you perceive he's done. Now, he can bring strength to you. He is the strength that you need. He's not going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He really is as good as he says he is. But if we perceive in our heart that he's upset us or we're offended or we're disappointed or he's let us down, then we're not going to receive what it is that he has for us. Does that make sense? It's the atmosphere of our heart that dictates whether you can actually access the strength that Jesus has to give you. If by default, if your default thinking is that when circumstances in your life are going good, that God is pleased with you, and then when circumstances in your life are going bad, that God is mad with you, then somehow in your mind, you've slipped into accusation, disappointment, offense, and mistrust with Jesus in your heart. That's what's happening. If, if there isn't a sense that whether life's good or bad, God is the same. Jesus is the same. His goodness is the same. His love is the same. He's never going to let me down. He's never going to forsake me. Then somehow in your heart, something has been planted that is not growing well, that is not helping you in your life. And if you're stuck on that thought that God must be mad or sad or punishing me or ignoring me because of the external circumstances of your life, then I want to encourage you today. It's time to tend to your heart because he is the strength that you need and Jesus is the answer, but you will not be able to access it because you're offended at him, because you're disappointed in him, which I, I really understand. It's really easy to do because you mistrust him somehow because you feel like he let you down and you can't accept his strength when you're in that position of an atmosphere in your heart. And if the band could join me. So this week, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I just want you to close your eyes, and I want you to say that with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say it again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say it again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As you keep your eyes closed, I want you to just speak this over you. The what can you do? You can do all things. What are the all things? The all things are the highs and the lows of your life. For those of you that are in a high right now, you can do those things. You can Live in the goodness of God. You can live in that breakthrough and just appreciate it for what it is. You can, for those of you that are in the low right now, 
you can live in that low content. The person that we need to live content is Jesus. And you can do that. The all things that you can do, you can do it because Jesus is initiating you into contentment in Christ alone. He uses every circumstance to strengthen you for your good, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. So this morning, as your eyes are closed and as you're thinking about the different circumstances in your life, whether that's good or bad, I want you just to take a minute to reflect and ask yourself the question, what is the atmosphere of my heart like? Do you need to tend it this week? Is there a weed of disappointment that needs pulling up? Is there a poison ivy of offense that you need to rip out this week? I want you to think about the people that you look to, that you see this in. They're the living example of this. The people who you've seen walk the highs and the lows and maybe decide, I'm going to go have a coffee and ask them what was their secret? How did they do it? And then I want you to think about who am I showing this to? Who do I know that needs a little bit of the secret that I found? Who can I take out to coffee? Who could I send a text to? Who could I ring up this week and say, hey, I know that you're going through a low situation at the minute. I've been there too. And it's Jesus that strengthens us. Who could you send an email to that says, listen, I know you're in a great season right now. I'm celebrating with you. It's so good that Jesus strengthens us in this season. I want to think about who it is that you can show this to, that you can model this to. You can encourage this in them. And as we finish, I just want us to finish just by singing truth that in all our life, he has been faithful. In all our life, he has been good. It's been good. There's been nothing that's wasted. No good, no bad, but he's there. I wonder if you sing with me.